Hey, I'm Becca Slider, your host, and this is The Courage to Fully Live. This podcast is a rebellion against old programming, conforming, and unsupportive beliefs that keep us small and living inauthentic lives. If you're on a journey of finding your true self or building the courage to fully express it, then you're in the right place. We're going to get raw and unfiltered with a diverse group of guests who share their stories of rediscovering who they are, reclaiming their life, and redefining how it all gets to go. Come join me. So today I have the incredible privilege, and I do count it a privilege, to have Sarah Richmond on here. She is a web and app copywriter specializing in humor and empathy. I don't think it gets better than that. Mom of two, DV survivor, ex-evangelical, and self-proclaimed hee-haw hilarious. Oh, wait, is it hee-haw hilarious? I didn't even it's say that. It's hilarious. I also second that because I've known her a long time because she is not only a friend, she is my sister. So it makes me super happy to have you on here just because I know you probably better than anybody else I'm going to interview. And I know the type of treasure and fantastic stuff you bring to the table. Yeah. What I would suggest based on how well you know me is you ask the question and then, and then you give the answer. <laughs> and I give the answer. I don't even wait for you. I'm like, let me tell you what the answer is that she's going to say. Actually, it'd be funny to guess the answer. That would be, yeah. So we'll start with now because there's lots of back then, but I think that what I would love for the audience to hear is just kind of how you, how you see yourself now, how you live now. And obviously there's, there's no perfection in it, but where's the beauty now in your life and how you see yourself and how you operate? Yeah, I think maybe it's twofold. I think a lot of beauty comes from autonomy, just recognizing and living in the reality of I've chosen the life that I'm living now. Not to say that I'm in control of everything, but the relationships I have, the way I show up, the work that I'm doing, and also just the mindsets that I choose. Those are really empowering and really fulfilling. And then I think the other aspect is just a lot of self-compassion that I, I didn't have the capacity to give myself uh, in the past because I was so constrained by belief systems that demanded that I, that I denigrate myself and that I, I keep myself small and honestly, that I hate myself into bettering myself, which of course doesn't actually work anyway. So, Wow. Yeah. yeah the way you put that into words is really it's really succinct and obviously resonates with me a lot. And I think probably a lot of other people, even if it's not the religious part of it, but the idea of almost hating yourself into bettering yourself yeah, and the mind fuckery that that is. And yet how common it is, right? Yeah. I think it's common, but it's also posed at least from, from our backgrounds as this beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's like so alluring and it's so toxic because you see it as this gift, but it's really poison. <laughs> Mm. So yeah, I want to, I want to hit more on that. So talk to me about how that was poised to you from a young age and it, how it was alluring. Like what, what did that look like? And how did that, how was that in your life? I think, you know, you and I have both said more than once that between the two of us, I'm more of a rule follower. It's just part of my sure. personality. I don't think that's based in like a bunch of trauma and, you know, yeah, that's just more of of who I am. And 
I think being the middle child, an unplanned child, and then it became pretty clear, not the favorite child, I was grasping for a way to belong and a way to be loved and just, just approved on approved of on some level. And so I think the Christian, the evangelical Christian framework offered that it seemed at least, you know, if you're just a good kid, if you get really good grades, if you do, you know, straight A's, if you just follow, you toe the line that your parents, you know, set out for you, eventually they'll notice. I mean, it became clear over time that they, that didn't really matter, that that wouldn't earn me anything. But what did change was once I was an adolescent, I ended up having sort of a family away from our family that was really precious to me, even though looking back, I can see how dangerous and unhealthy it was. But, you know, the idea that purity culture, that if you just um, present yourself as a really chaste person and you follow all the rules, eventually you'll end up with a relationship that's fulfilling and beautiful and sexy and great and and will last forever and you'll be treated right. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted all the things that I was promised. I wanted, I think these are, these are basic human needs and they were promised to me within a framework that I didn't have the capacity to understand was a lie, you know, not just because we can't control the future, but because, and we can't control people, but because it's, it's not true. There, there's nothing that we actually have to, to earn to be enough. And I was just searching for that. I didn't realize like how deep that wound and that desire went in so many facets of my life. Like I was, when it comes down to it, searching for someone some way to to really, truly believe that I'm enough. I don't know if I really answered your question, but that's sort of looking back how I see it. Yeah, no, that's, that's huge. And I think that it plays out. I feel like it plays out in everybody's life differently, but there's some threads of similarity that we can all attest to. And part of that is that how do I really feel that feeling of I am enough, I'm loved, I'm affirmed, I'm acceptable. Yeah, I belong. And we're all looking at it through different lenses. But when you're young, you're, you're trying to find that. And, and if you're in a, probably a very healthy environment, you're mm-hmm. taught in certain ways. So there's like at least a level of fulfillment that comes outside of the external, but in, but in your case, in my case, in many people's cases, it's like, it's almost like, no, I, I, I do this. So I find it here. I do that. So I find it there. I, mm-hmm. I, and it's just this never ending search. And anytime you get a glimmer of it, oh yeah, mm-hmm. I do feel this in this moment. It's just as fleeting as it came and it yeah. doesn't and, stay. And I think w- the biggest reason I ended up with a lot of self-loathing, because like, you know, I could say that that was also born out of being in an abusive marriage for 13 years. But when it comes down to it, some of that stuff really predated that, like it, that added layers to it. Sure. Mm-hmm. But I think it's because they've created a group. And in order to protect that group and the authority that, that, you know, the leaders have over it, we have to alienate ourselves from other people. But in doing so, we're often alienating ourselves from ourselves because we're all just humans. So for example, when it comes to sexuality, we'll say that anybody that doesn't follow this little tiny sliver of experience or behavior patterns or sexual attraction or whatever it is, is they're bad, they're wrong, they're gross, they're evil, they're sinful, right? And we other them. But if anything comes up in our hearts or minds or bodies that maybe strikes us as similar, then we think, oh, I'm a piece of shit too, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. You know, and, and even if you follow that, and, and I feel like I was the poster child for like purity culture, even if you follow that, 
you still end up with a really empty sort of trophy that is I'm pure, but I, I'm still not getting anything that's fulfilling. Like I, I still hate myself because I'm, I'm not enough because somehow sexuality is a bad and wrong thing, right? Right from the get go. So, and you can't love yourself when you're hating other people and vice versa. Like it, there's just, you're, there is no way to sort of compartmentalize that. Yeah. And I think we think we can, like I can, my, my job is to judge all these people, but I'm a loving person. And my job is to judge all these other people, but I am, I am somehow honoring God and loving myself. And like, it, it, it doesn't really, it doesn't work. We mm-hmm. hope that it works, but it doesn't work. No. Cause I mean, there's, there's just so much evidence. So many people who are so committed to perspectives like that who end up, you know, like us in therapy. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so you hit on up to the point where you were really in, um, this desire of feeling belonging, you kind of found a group. It was, it was precious to you, but looking back, you can see the toxicity, but was that the climax of where you were like, fuck this, I can't live this way. Or did that lead to more pain down the road? Did you continue that route? And what, what was the epitome of when you, you got into the most pain of really being detached from who you truly were that you hit that climax moment of like, I can't fucking live this way anymore. I can't, I can't subscribe to this stuff anymore. I can't keep doing life this way. What, what led up to that? And then what was that breaking point for you? Yeah. I get the heart of your question. I think the premise that there's a moment, you already know this, is an easy way to ask the question, but it's faulty because there wasn't right. a moment, right? Yeah. It yeah. was this growing realization at times that I didn't even fucking want because it's so painful to consider what your knowledge is going to require of you. God damn it. You don't want to be accountable for that. So I'd say it was incremental, you know, I mean, there are things that happened that were extremely painful that drove me deeper into Christianity. And also like at the same time, changed sort of my stance in some ways. So after being in a really, really uh, spiritually abusive uh, church plant, I had to take a break from the Bible for a while because I was in just so much pain reading it. But at the same time, I didn't lose my faith or whatever. And I didn't give up on Christianity. And I ended up, you know, just diving right back into it, ending up in, in church leadership and, and volunteering again, you know, and a month into my marriage, I tried to kill myself because it was very clearly a mistake. My my body knew, even if my brain didn't completely understand, this is a really unsafe man. And yet I stayed for 13 more years, just trying over and over again and all the different iterations I can think of to, to make it work based on what I was told. You know, you can't divorce, you have to do this, you need to submit more, blah, 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 blah. So it was it was a really slow process. And and every area of my life related to it. When I saw the way the church pr- treated people who were gay, and I and I worked with mostly gay people at one point, I thought, this is this is crap, but I didn't even have the words to even completely explain to myself why it was nobody's business and why it, 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 it didn't shake out the way they thought it was, you know, like it, they weren't proving their point, you know? And then I know that my marriage was, was more than just unhappy, but, and then all the church stuff, but I just, I kept trying to make it work. I think I got to a point, I think really what helped me get to this point is my, my health started breaking down after I had had my second child and things had gotten exponentially worse with my husband. And it's funny because I realized after I, I escaped that I didn't even really know to call it abuse at that point. Mm -hmm. And yet I still knew I had to leave. 
And I was approaching my faith differently at that point. I was so worn out, so worn down, so brokenhearted, so devastated by, by where my life was that I remember just sort of being like, God, either help me or don't, but I can't beg you anymore. Like if I'm a piece of shit and if I'm wrong, I'm doing the best I know how. And why would I choose this route out of all the others if it's going to destroy me in the process? And that was really what it felt like. I mean, I considered what I was going to lose when I moved out. And I didn't know how much I was going to lose. I, I couldn't have tallied that cost. It was excruciating, but it was what I needed to be free. And it was, it was just sort of a, a the, the crucible that I had to, to walk through. So I think after getting out and realizing that I could build a life on my own, again, going back to the first question you asked me, like autonomy. Yes. That helped me to slowly continue the journey and, and not resist so much the journey of deconstructing. Mm-hmm. And that was like having every single layer of my flesh just slowly peeled off. I remember I'd sit in church and there were different times I would just be shaking from head to toe. I was in so much pain listening to the sermons <laughs> because I knew I could at least see clearly enough at that point that these words that were spoken from the stage that were presented as words of life had wrought so much damage in my life. And it wasn't because I wasn't sincere. It wasn't because I didn't take them seriously. It was because I did. It was because I based my entire life, every aspect of my identity, my actions, my faith, my prayer, like all of it on lies. And I'm not saying that to spit on somebody's faith in God. I just mean the modern interpretation of what it means to be a Christian, to be a woman, to be straight, to be a wife, to be an American. All those things are so warped by people who are only interested in power. And when you tell people that this is your box, get into it, you destroy their spirits, but you destroy their potential. You destroy their future. You destroy their understanding of who God is. And so having to deconstruct that meant that I had to pull apart every layer of what I understood truth to be. And I don't even realize I was doing that at the time. I just knew everything fucking sucked and I did not want to do this. I, because I knew I was like, the more I am honest about this stuff, you know, I said this to my, to my mom, when she asked me about moving out and she was not super happy. And I said, mom, there's some truths you just cannot go back on. Once you see them, you can't unsee them. And I was talking about my marriage at that point, realizing my ex was doing things on purpose, that he really wanted to harm me, that it wasn't my responsibility to get him to behave, right? And I couldn't change him. I just had to do what I had to do for my own safety and well-being. But I mean, that's true in general, that there are just some things, it becomes an imperative that you live out your understanding of them. And my understanding was that I didn't have an issue with God, with Jesus, with my church even. It was the best church I'd ever been in. It was the fundamentals, the entire framework, basis of their beliefs. And so it wasn't, I'm hurt, I'm leaving. It was, I can no longer in good conscience be a part of this. I have to remove myself. And the pandemic provided sort of an out because nobody was going to church at that point. But, you know, I still knew where I was and that's the hardest. It's not even, I mean, having other people know is hard, but finally admitting where you are is the hardest part. And I knew I was done. Yeah. I get emotional because the peeling off the layers of your own skin is, there's something to that. That is, it's a place of darkness and loneliness that Mm -hmm. if people haven't walked through 
they yeah. don't know. And it is, it is ripping out the very foundation of your identity of what feels like all of you. It, it feels like all of you. It's not, but that's what it feels like because I, yeah. I felt like there for me and you, like there was so much built up around that. It didn't feel like there was anything else. Yeah. So what were we doing? Yeah. You're like, it's never going to end. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then the loss that comes with that. So the loss of your, of your marriage, which was a good thing, but still excruciatingly painful. Yeah. Right. And then the loss of the, the community around you with the church, even though, yes, again, it's good. And there's loss, right? That was your community. Those were the people you knew and you, you did some form of life with. And then not only do you have that, but then there is other fallout and you're left with what, what did it feel like? (laughs) What did it feel like you were left with? Just drama. just a shitload of trauma. I mean, it took years until I got to the point where it wasn't common for me to have that head to toe stress response where I could barely speak when I talked about, especially church stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's really hard because it reminds me of my marriage too. I remember when I finally came to terms, because this is the most painful. If there's somebody you love and I really loved Jesus, And you find out that they're hurting you and they're doing it on purpose. You think that's the hard part, right? Like that they're hurting you because you're, you're lying in your closet crying regularly. Right. But that's actually not the hard part. The hard part is admitting to yourself who they are. It sucks. So I'm not saying Jesus is objectively a piece of shit. Just the Jesus who had been presented to me was honestly, like we were taught an abusive God. But I think once you come to terms with that, what was your question again? It's like what you're left with. Like you come to terms with that and you, you, you chose to have. Oh yeah. I got insane courage to walk away from that and deconstruct all of that. And then that was, that's amazing and horribly painful (laughs) and terrible and traumatizing. And also, and then the aftermath. Yeah. So yeah. So the connection there, I got it. Thank you. Is just that you look back on all these memories that you think are beautiful and they're so tainted by the understanding of what was actually going on at that point. So I could say, for example, oh, I didn't have sex outside of marriage. And I don't think that that's like an objectively bad thing, but I know that a lot of that related to, for example, like extreme shame over sexuality. And that was, that was my own autonomy robbed from me, right? And not dating. Right. And that's maybe not the best example, but like, for example, when I look back and then there were times when my ex-husband gave me gifts and I understand now that there were some serious ulterior motives there. He was either covering up because of unfaithfulness or he was just trying to lure me back in. So I wouldn't leave because he knew like she's getting to that point. Right. And so I look back on a lifetime, literally of memories. And it felt like a wasteland. So it's not just that like right where I was, I had to rebuild my entire life. It was also that looking back, it felt like everything that could have been good was robbed of me before I ever got a chance to taste it. Mm. Now, I will say that that's not a great place to stay. And I don't think I'm there right now because when it comes down to it, we all have things that we could regret 
I, I really do hate that aspect of where my life was sort of taken over by a bunch of brainwashing, mm-hmm. but I can't change it. I've got to just work with where I am right, right now. But yeah, feeling like not only had I based all the best of me on things that were only able at their best to use me and harm me was really devastating. So yeah. you're left with just a lot of, a lot of grief and it feels paralyzing. Yeah. I think I think it's hard to, even though you know you have autonomy, it's hard to really embrace that because you can see just how much you never got to even live yeah, and just be you. So, yeah. Yeah. And I would think that in, I know for myself, even in, in the grief, it, it can, it can easily pull you down into an abyss where you're just like, what's the fucking point anymore? Mm-hmm. What's the yeah. point when everything crumbles? What's the point? So, but that's not where you are today. So how has that journey been of really rediscovering you, like who the fuck you are? Because you didn't, it sounds like everything you shared, you you never got a chance to even know you. You started at such a young age being programmed into the way you were going to think and how you were going to live and how you were going to believe things. Right. Mm So, so you didn't know you because you knew you through all of these other beliefs and lenses. So Mm -hmm. then you, you deconstruct all of it. You walk away from it. There's all of this intense grieving. There's all of this intense pain. And how, how does that look to move in that journey? What, what kept you going on that journey? And what have you uncovered about yourself? Yeah. I think hope has been really important and hope was a setup within my marriage and also within my faith. Because if you're believing for something that never is actually going to manifest to begin with, because it, it just isn't possible, you know, like A plus B equals C and you get your result, you know, the equational thinking of most Christians. And if you believe in God, there is no such thing as you do this, you do that. And then God always blah, blah, blah. Cause no one would get cancer and stuff, you know what I'm saying? Stuff like that. Right. Right. So re revisiting hope as something that's not a setup to crush me, you know, sort of like an anvil hanging over my head. Well, just hope, you know, just don't give up. But revisiting hope is something for, it reminds me of, so there's an author, Rebecca Solna, and she wrote a book called Hope in the Dark. And it's funny because I couldn't even tell you all the stuff in the book, but I've always remembered the title. And it's because the basis, the premise of it is you don't know the future, which scares the shit out of you, but you don't know the future, which means there's probably maybe some really great things there. So revisiting hope, and embracing it now as an, I don't know the future, which means better than I could have hoped for is maybe going to happen. And also it's really hard not to have hope when you, when you've exercised autonomy to the level that I have, because I had to rebuild my entire life. I mean, we were almost destitute and it wasn't just my faith and my relationships. You know, I lost pretty much my entire family and, you know, my ex at the time was trashing me to anybody who would listen online, for example, uh, and then I had family courts who were not helpful and people who made judgments about, well, if you're divorced, then you must not be a real Christian. You must not really, but you know, all that stuff. So I think seeing how much my life had changed because I had exercised so much autonomy made me think if things could get this much better when all I did was all I did was just get the hell away from him, you know, and barely even do anything else but survive, then I think there might be some more good stuff to come, right? And that leads me to the next part, which is like excitement about seeing all of this as an adventure. Now, mm. this is not like an I'm manifesting this belief every single day. Cause sometimes I'm like, 
life sucks, <laughs> right? Sure. But there is this level of excitement over what's next, what's mm. to come. Because if I've already experienced this much healing and this much wholeness and this much fun and this much just fulfillment in figuring out who I am and just trying to embrace pleasure because we've got one life, right? And I don't mean hedonism. <laughs> the funny thing is I'm still a pretty buttoned up individual, but I just mean not hating myself for wanting enjoyment instead of um, nose to the grindstone in every aspect. Um, and just, just realizing that like, that is the point of life. The point of life is growth, but not in this, let me set 5,000 goals. It's just, it's just discovering it's mm. discovering. And that was one thing I remember talking about, I don't know, it was probably at least a year ago with my therapist. And I said, how do I not get overwhelmed by all this? Cause I, I feel like I'm never really going to heal. And she was like, and along the lines of how can we reframe this? And I just sort of sat there and thought, and I was like, I guess I could say I'm, I'm discovering, you know, like that's, that's really what's going on. And I mm. think that when we're honest with ourselves, we recognize that life is painful and there are a lot of things that maybe suck, but when it comes down to it, our internal world is what indicates or dictates how we feel about life. It's not even what's going on around us. It really is. And some of the stuff that reminds me of like our the spiritual things that we were taught. So it's weird to talk about. I know that this is a fundamental truth that, that our beliefs inform our level of fulfillment and, and happiness and, and peace and contentment. So if that's the case, then the fact that we are on a journey is a good thing. That mm -hmm. is the entire point because there's nothing that actually in the end will completely constrain that. It's mm -hmm. not to say that you're going to have the energy for it every single day. There's not this level of have to, or what would the word be? Like, you know, when you like, you feel forced to do something like compulsion, Yeah. Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. There's not this level of compulsion to it. There's just this level of ease. Mm -hmm. And that was something I remember I started to exercise even before I deconstructed like fully, I guess you could say. I remember just getting to the point where I was like, I can't keep forcing this. I'm so exhausted. And so when you approach life from the aspect of, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that there are going to be some good things. And that what really matters is the way I think about it the most. It sounds really trite, but you can be excited about that. And, and yeah. that I think will give you staying power too. And I think that's mm -hmm. why older people who've got their head on straight, who aren't idiots or assholes, say that as they get older, they, every decade, their, their life gets better. And it's not, I think, because they get rich or because like everything is going great. Their bodies are probably falling apart, but they're like, but the level of wisdom and understanding and peace and self-acceptance I have, and maybe even just generosity toward others, you know, yeah. generosity of spirit that increases over time. And that's, that's really cool. Yeah. I, I really appreciated what you said about the idea of life as an adventure. It's something that I have mentioned several times to people and just remind myself of because it's so easy to get caught up in it being this thing we have to do and overcome. And be, there's it's all of that, that pressure and should and have to energy that the mm -hmm. majority of us get sucked into on a daily basis. And it's like, okay, what if you go to the movies and it's this guy and his life is great and everything's wonderful. And he has all of his ducks in a row. And in the middle of the movie, the same thing, life is great. He's got, oh, he's got a great job and he has a great wife. And then the end of the movie, it ends with him going off into the sunset and his life, like who the fuck wants to watch that movie? 
We yeah. want an adventure. We were made for adventure. And if we look at it that way and we're like, yeah, there is pain and there is, there are things that maybe we won't like every fucking day of our lives. I don't think we were meant to, because if there's no contrast, where do we get the benefit of being, oh, let me dive into curiosity, which you said the idea of discovering mm-hmm. and the curiosity. Instead, if we go there, instead of contempt, if we go to curiosity, instead of judgment, if we go to curiosity, mm-hmm. instead of disdain, we have such a different perspective. It creates more joy and actually allows us to evolve faster. And as you said, with more ease, there's this, this energy of, Oh, this isn't, this isn't actually so bad. Yeah. The faster thing and the ease, like, you know, I was one of those, I will read the Bible every day. I will pray every day, blah, 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 all the things I, you know, there was a Sarah Richmond liturgy. I embodied (laughs) it, right? But I've grown more in the past, well, six years now. And it just, I feel like it just keeps increasing. And again, it's not from a place of, of crazy exertion. It's just as things come up, as I notice things, as I allow myself a greater level of understanding, just by being open, Mm -hmm. it just, it happens. And I'm, I think recognizing that I can trust that process, that I don't have to squeeze the bad stuff out of me. Mm -hmm. And, and I really love the, how fast it has been. I, I don't think that that's, you know, something I really need to focus on that much, but mm-hmm. I think the cool thing about having your entire reality <laughs> implode is that you end up as a matter of course growing in so many ways and so quickly, because there's so many different areas that your life touches on, on a daily basis. We're like, oh, that's just shame, blah, 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 blah. And I don't have to think that anymore. Right. Or like it's small things. It's really small wins. I knew that I was starting to heal from some of my self-loathing due to sexual rejection in my marriage because I started walking around the house in my underwear. And then finally I was like, wait a second. I'm not running to put clothes on all the time. This is fantastic. Maybe I'll walk around naked. (laughs) And I know that sounds dumb and sort of silly, but small wins like that, Mm -hmm. they've they've been constant. They've been consistent. And so I like that. I liked Mm -hmm. And it's not, the other thing that's cool is it's not dependent upon some outside source that gets to decide whether you're worthy, whether you've measured up. And it's not dependent upon what think what people think about you. Because at this point, I'm sure there's lots of people who think I'm a piece of trash, right? But I, here I am, yeah. you know? And I mean, it, it's only about it's like you, you. Mm-hmm. And it's only about openness, which is as easy as breathing in some ways. That's not to say there isn't some significant effort. I've actually had times where a better, I would say better reality, a better understanding or perspective is presented to me. And I think... Mm-hmm. Oh God, this is hard. I can actually feel the physical tension in my brain sometimes of like, no, no, we have this groove. You will follow it. You follow it right now, Missy. And I'm like, no, no, we're going to jump out of this groove. We're going to start another one. God, I can uh. actually feel like the physical resistance to something new. And there's times, times when I've been highly triggered and I am just losing my shit. Maybe it's some, in some ways it's obvious on the outside, but inside I'm just like, Ah, you know, and it feels like in that moment, everything has stopped and everything is trash and everything is horrible and, never, mm-hmm. and nothing will be right again. But again, like it is an adventure and that the stakes are not, <laughs> the stakes are not judgment and hell. They're just, what kind of freedom are you willing to step into? Mm. And if you're willing, go ahead. And if you're not, I'm going to love you anyway. That was it right there. Yeah. That was it. That's all of it right there. What kind of freedom are you willing to step into? Mm-hmm. And if you're not, I'm going to love you anyway. That That's the beauty of it. And that's the journey of it. And that, that literally encompasses all of it. Cause it's what it, 
it's all about is freedom, greater freedom. And I love how you talked about where you're at now and just seeing your own growth is such a powerful place to be, to know it's coming from the inside and to be able to celebrate the small wins and the little victories. And then to know, yeah, I'm still human and I'm not going to despise my humanity. I still have the days where I feel like everything's going to shit. And yet there's almost still this higher version of me in those moments. That's like, it's just a day. It's okay. Have your day. We're not going to make you wrong for it. And also <laughs> it's, it's just, it's just a moment like this doesn't define your future. So I, I feel there's this, this ability to have the 30,000 foot view and still allow ourselves to be in the moment and feel all the feels and not make it a problem, but yeah. also not allow it to define how tomorrow goes and how the next week goes and how the rest of our life looks. Yeah. When you were talking just then, it made me think that in some ways, it's like coming home to a, a younger version of myself. Mm. And, you know, I don't, obviously I'm not talking about immaturity, but just the part of me that wasn't uh, cloistered by all the things that, that I was taught about every aspect of life, every choice you make, you know, it has to be for the sake of suffering and becoming a better person and, and honoring God and and doing the right thing. And the funny thing is, I think I'm embodying more love and kindness and joy and goodness in the world than I ever was. Mm. And it's, it's outside of all of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I've recognized in myself too. And it's really interesting. And also I'm, I, I'm not, <laughs> it, it makes me want to go out and prove that point to people. I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to be me. I feel like there are aspects of our past and communities in our past that are waiting for our fall. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, I can't explain the freedom I have now and the peace I have now mm-hmm. and my uh, level of compassion and love for my humanity. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really sweet, sweet place to be. Mm-hmm. Damn, that was good. Thank you for being so vulnerable. Not that I expected anything less. Our conversations are always just powerful as shit because your openness and you're willing to see things and you're willing to look for, it's just beautiful. If you want, we can talk about my bathroom habits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, as I said, and when I introduced her in, in the bio, her, her copywriting skills do the best when they involve empathy and humor and she holds nothing back with either. So... <laughs> But if people want to follow you and get more about who you are, where's the best place to find you? Uh, LinkedIn. I don't have the spoons for being on much of anything else. And I do write some redonkulous shit on there. Yeah. So. Awesome. You're brilliant. I mean, you are one of my favorite people to read anything of. So that says a lot because I don't do a crazy amount of reading nowadays. But when I do, you never, never cease to make me laugh or cry. It's one or the other pretty much each time. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for Appreciate having me. you. Hey, thanks for being here and joining me each week. My hope is that every time you listen, you walk away feeling more activated and empowered to live a life that is fully yours. If you like this podcast, share it on social or with a friend. It could literally be the thing that someone needs to hear today. All right. I'll see you back here next week. And until then, Remember to enjoy the privilege of getting to know and authentically express who you came here to be.